and show ourselves approved this evening. So I hope that you got your Bible because we're going to be flipping around and looking around and reading around and doing all kind of arounds. Man, that's a terrible joke. One day, one day. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 8, the verses that we'll kind of start with this evening will be verses 30 and 35. Uh, We are continuing talking about the characters of the Bible on Sunday nights. And you know, last week we talked about Josiah, the young king, and how he uh, turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might. And he wanted to do that because he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted to be pleasing to him in all that he did. And he did. He, he uh, went through the kingdom and he brought things back to where they needed to be. And therefore he was pleasing to God uh, when the prophetess told him that your people are going to be destroyed, but you're not. You will be saved because you humbled yourselves. You humbled yourself in front of me. And that's kind of... Uh, an encouraging thing for me, and I hope it's encouraged you to think about what we do in our lives, how we act, how we think, what we say, all of those things, and are they really and truly pleasing to God? What a good lesson for me to study, and, and still I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Josiah and what a, a great man, really a young boy, uh, he was. I want to talk about a man tonight that not really about the person so much as I want to talk about what he said or what he did that all of us need to make sure that as we talked about this morning if we are concerned about saving people's lives that we have this ability to do. A little history on Philip before we get going. In Acts 7, he was one of the seven that the apostles laid their hands on. He was one of the ones who was there to help the apostles. You know, they were the Hellenist Jews were having trouble because they said they weren't getting their portion. And so the apostles set up these, really these deacons for... Uh, to help with these issues so they could continue preaching the Word, so they could continue doing the things and not be hindered with cleaning up the tables and such. But they wanted these guys to be really uh, good men. And I tell you what, look at he- uh, Acts 6 real quick. Hebrews, we're going to be there. But <clears throat> here we go. I'm excited already jumping to the end. I'm trying to hold back. No, I just misspoke. Uh, therefore, verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. So pick out these brethren amongst you that can help us out as we continue on this mission that we need to do uh, to further the gospel. And then we kind of lose sight of Philip in, in seven because there's Stephen. Stephen was also one of the seven, and he ends up getting killed. And because of that, a great persecution comes across the church in Jerusalem, and people are scattered. 
And this is where uh, Philip in, in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So he went and he preached in Samaria. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 12 we see that after he had preached this that these people were baptized. They became Christians. And then Peter from verses 14 uh, on until uh, verse 25, he comes back on the scene and he's uh, doing some things with Simon the sorcerer. And then Philip comes back on. And this is where I kind of want to start out. And I'm just going to kind of paraphrase until we get to verse 30. Now an angel, verse 26, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying to arise and go toward uh, the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose and he went and behold he sees this man and he's an Ethiopian. And he's uh, a eunuch and he has great authority under the queen Candace. He actually is the treasurer for Candace. And he was reading a... Uh, scroll from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip, uh, the Spirit tells Philip, go in verse 29, go near and overtake this chariot. In verse 30, that's where we'll pick up. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, Of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. I want to look at three verses really quick. Acts 8 verse 5, Acts 8 verse 12, and Acts 8 verse 35. And I want you to see if there's any similarities in what uh, Philip does here. Look at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to them. (laughs) Any similarities? What did he do in all of these? Preached Jesus. If we as Christians are going to be successful, if we as Christians who care about souls and care about uh, doing God's will and carrying out the mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we have got to preach Jesus. Amen? So what does it mean to preach Jesus? 
What is involved in preaching Jesus? I want to start three points. I got six points on this. And I want to do two parts of this. One tonight and one the next Sunday night. Because there's so much in this. I don't want to just be real quick. The death, burial, and the resurrection, that is absolutely preaching Jesus. The gospel is absolutely preaching Jesus. But I want to get into it. I want to get into that meat and be able to study it so when you are faced with a person who's wanting to know who Jesus is, you can tell them. How do you do that? What do you talk about? Three points. Get in this with me, y'all. I've been excited just thinking about these three points, really all six of them, but... It was too much to just cram into one thing, into one lesson, and I don't want that. I want us to be able to be edified and be able to go out and use this. The first point, when preaching Jesus, we must preach His divinity. Amen? Follow along with me. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, I'm going to go through scriptures And I want us to just think about this. When we preach Jesus to somebody, we have to preach His divinity. Who is Jesus? In the beginning, and we know this verse, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word did what? Became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see from these scriptures that Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Was God. Not kinda. Was Studying with some uh, Jehovah Witnesses who do not believe that Jesus is God. Even in their Bible, that verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Little g. Not God, a little God. A created being. That's not what the Bible tells us. Revelations 22.13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the beginning and the end. <laughs> How much plainer does that need to be? I am the first and I am the last. I'm the one. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, and this is a powerful one. Very powerful. Let this mind be in you, and I've read it several times, but really when we think about God's divinity, this is a verse that we have to use. Because let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... 
being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, I know Satan is a created being. I know angels are created beings. And by no means... Now, Satan tries to exalt himself to be like God, but they are not even close to being equal with God. And it says Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. God, the God-man. When we preach Jesus, that has to be known. That has to be told when telling somebody, this is God in the flesh. And I love, turn with me to John 8 real quick. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 48. He's in it with the Jews and they're just attacking him and on him. And in and, uh, verse 48 he says, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> they call him a Samaritan and a demon. And in verse 54 he says, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing, and it is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not know him, but I do know him, and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham, who's way back when, rejoiced to see my day. And when he saw it, he was glad. And then in verse 58, he says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. We know who that is. Yahweh. Huh? Jehovah. The God of Jacob. The God of Isaac. You know who I'm talking about? That God. The God of the Old Testament. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. What a bold statement. Because he didn't consider it robbery to be equal to God. In 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. God was manifested in the flesh. The God-man. When we preach Jesus, we have to preach His divinity. Who He is. Where He came from. The second thing to consider this evening. When preaching Jesus, we must preach that He is the Messiah. 
I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of times I skip over this. I mean, I may say it in passing, but I don't sit there and, and talk about that. But really and truly, it's very important. You've got people around us in the religious world today that don't believe Jesus is the Christ. I've told you before, at preaching school, there is a group of Muslims right there at, at, that live by Creep Hall. And one of them works at the Walgreens where I go. If I'm going to preach to this lady Jesus, i got to talk about him being the Messiah. Because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe he was a prophet. But he definitely wasn't the Son of God and he definitely wasn't the Messiah. There are over, and I wish I would have remembered this. Please forgive me for not remembering this. I should have wrote it down when he did it, and I probably said this before, but I just didn't do it because I didn't. Because I'm a man, I guess. And I forgot, and I was lazy and didn't want to take notes. I am taking notes, elders. All right, I am. That's cool, I am taking notes. Just not right then. Probably texting or get myself in trouble. There's over 365 prophecies about the coming Messiah. The probability of this one person doing all of those is unbelievable. When you sit and you are diligent in your study and you find these prophecies, you can find every single one of them fulfilled in who? Jesus, the Messiah. Because that's who he was. You remember Jesus? He said in Matthew 5.17, he said, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to what? I came to fulfill that. I came to fulfill it. When we are preaching Jesus to people, we have got to preach about him being who he is. The Messiah, the coming one. The one promised. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Verse number 2. And I understand that this is was the custom and this is what it was because the gospel was supposed to be preached to the Jews first. And then the Greeks, I understand that. But listen to this. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, here he was talking about this Christ that was coming and that how he was going to resurrect from the dead, and then he says, this Jesus... Whom I preach to you, guess what? He's the Christ. He's the Christ. When you have one shot at telling somebody the gospel, can you give them all these verses? No. But Christian brethren, we've got to know this stuff. 
and be confident in this stuff. To be able to get to a point where you say, I only got one shot, but maybe I can get it. At some point in time, I can talk to them about this. And if you don't understand these old tests, it's a great way to show somebody not only uh, the, the Old Testament prophecies, but you can show the New Testament and bring them together. It's amazing. I don't know all of them either. But you know what I'm going to do from just thinking about this point is I'm going to study and be diligent to understand these prophecies so I can bring it up, so I can use it on people. What a powerful weapon. I'm only using God's Word to prove my point. Been studying with Bubba and Jesse, and we've many a times we've talked about these things that have connected from the Old Testament to the New, and it's just amazing. Turn with me to Acts 18. Just flip right over. <clears throat> so, verse 3. Verse 4, actually. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that who? Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing believed, and were baptized. What was, G what was Paul preaching? He was preaching Jesus, and he was preaching Jesus was the Christ. Whether we like it or not, Muslim people are coming into this country. Whether we like it or not, it's coming the time where uh, people do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. Can we show them it? When we preach Jesus, we must be able to do that. I want to get better at that. I want to be better at doing that. And I encourage you, and I'm going to pray this week, and I'm going to continue to pray as I'm studying on this, that you will be better too. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 5. I want to look at just an example of this. this I, love, I, I love this example uh, to use, using the New Testament, going back to the Old Testament to show uh, these things. Turn to verse uh, John 5, 45. Jesus again, he's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, Do you not think that I shall accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you. Moses, in whom you trust. You know, the Pharisees, they trusted in Moses. They trusted in that law. And listen to what Jesus says. For if you believed Moses, if you believed this one guy that you've put in your faith in, then you would believe me. Well, why is that, Jesus? For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now here's how the Bible is so awesome. 
when you listen to the Bible and you let the Bible speak where it speaks, it'll tell you the truth. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 18. All the way back. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 19. Listen to what the Bible says. This is Moses. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet. God's, Moses is talking, but God is the one talking. Verse 17, and the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. I'll require it of him. Now turn with me to John chapter 12. There's so much of this in the Bible. This is so, it's so organized. People think, it's an old worn out book. Boy, this thing is powerful and it's sharp on both sides. It'll cut you on both sides if you ain't careful. John 12, 48. What does he say? If you don't uh, hear his words, he's going to require it of you, right? Listen to what Jesus says. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, he has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. I'll require it of him. Because when you stand in front of judgment, guess what? You're going to be judged by my words. That's awesome. Preaching Jesus you means you have to talk about Jesus being the Messiah. The one prophesied about. The one who fulfilled these prophecies. When we preach Jesus, we preach about His divinity. And we preach about Him being the Messiah. And number three, and here we go, we fixing to get into it. And I'm going to have to stop after this point. But when we preach Jesus, we must preach the cross. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is addressing a situation that the denominational world just wants to rip apart and use against the church. And they just miss the whole point. Here Paul is and he's... Dealing with a situation where these brethren, when they got baptized, they were wanting to claim the person that baptized them. Well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of uh, whoever else was doing the baptizing. And Paul addresses it. In verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? He's wanting them to realize that we're one in the body of Christ. He says, is, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know, here he is given the what you've got to do to be saved, who you believe in and who your name you're baptized in, right? He's not saying baptism isn't necessary. He says, was I the one? 
that you got baptized in my name to be saved? No. He move on move on to verse 17. He says, and this is the verse they want to use, but they totally miss what it's talking about. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdoms of words. Why, Paul? Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Baptism isn't the only thing that saves you. Baptism is what washes away your sins. Absolutely. But if you don't believe, if you don't repent, if you don't confess, you just got wet. Right? The cross is what it's about. His death. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Because we remember His death. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm crucified. I'm a new creation. I no longer am a part of the world. What's the importance of the cross? Turn with me to Hebrews 9. And I encourage you this week, if you read anything, read Hebrews 9. Read the whole entire Hebrews 9, uh, really, and you're going to have to probably back up. So I tell you what, just read all of Hebrews. How about that? (laughs) Start at 1 and read it all the way through, and then you'll get the whole picture. Because we are kind of cutting in on this. But I want to for us to think about the importance of preaching the cross and what that means. Look at verse 22. And we all understand about this priest that would have to go in and do these sacrifices for the Jews. That's what he's talking about. But listen to what he says. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. (laughs) Wait a minute. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, we're still in our sins, right? If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, we're still full of sin. In order for there to be remission or forgiveness of sin, it has to be bloodshed. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. And I want you to check this right here. Having obtained eternal redemption. I can say this Greek word, so I'm just going to say it. Lutrosis. He came and gave us eternal lutrosis. He redeemed us. We were ransomed. We were forgiven, but through His blood. How important is the blood? If he doesn't die, we don't have forgiveness. Look at Hebrews 9, 25. 
and 26. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. Every year we know the priest would come in and offer the sacrifice and what? They would continue it or roll the sin forward, right? Some say it was forgiven. There's some talk about that. But regardless, every year he had to come back and do it again. But look what it says. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, brethren, once at the end of the ages... <laughs> and you know what? Let me just stop right there. Once at the end of the ages... You know, a lot of people say, oh, the end times are coming. Be prepared for the end times. You remember? The mark of the beast is coming. Be prepared for this. This is book, chapter, and verse on when Jesus comes, that's the end of the ages. We are living in the end of the ages right here, brethren. Because Jesus Christ is coming back and going to get us and that's it. But look what he says. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. When I preach Jesus, I preach, thank you for what he did. You should be so happy that what he did on the cross is going to save your life. And look at verse 27 and 28. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Oh, man. Why am I preaching the cross? Because I got salvation in that cross. I have salvation in that cross. I'm saved because of that cross. I preach Jesus because I preach Jesus and I preach the cross because if there's no cross, there's no forgiveness. Yes, I'm being repetitive. What an exciting thing to think about that we can preach Jesus to somebody and give them something that they never maybe have ever heard in their life. And we can tell them about who he is. He was divine, the God-man. We can tell him that he was the Messiah. He fulfilled 365 prophecies. That's amazing. He did the probability of it, and it went all the way across the board, this number. But he did it. 